Good morning, my dear friends. Today is uh, the 26th of uh, July in the year 2013, and we are in the full moon meditation hall of the new hamlet Plum Village. There are a few things in Plum Village that I want you to bring home. so that you will remember Plum Village. And one of these things is uh, the bell of mindfulness. You know, every time you hear the bell, we stop talking. Remember? So there is peace. There is a joy in the practice of mindful breathing. So if you bring the bell of mindfulness home, you bring also mindful breathing home. And uh, Thay was ordained as a novice monk at the age of 60. And he has learned how to, uh, how, how to produce a sound of the bell of good quality because it looks uh, easy but uh, it's not so easy. You have to produce a beautiful sound, not too strong, not too weak. It's powerful but it's very pleasant. So more than 70 years they have learned how to produce a sound of the bell. We do not say uh, strike the bell or hit the bell. We, we say inviting the bell to sound. The bell is like a friend. We ask the bell to offer us a sound. And that is why you have to be very gentle to the bell. Whether it is a, a little bell we call it a mini bell or a big bell in the bell tower. And we, uh, every time we hear the bell, we stop talking, thinking, doing things. And we listen very deeply. And we consider the bell, the sound of the bell as uh, the voice of uh, the Buddha calling us home to ourselves and experience peace and joy and mindfulness. And if we do that together, it's very nice. So I want you to bring the sound of the bell home. Every time in the family, if there is not enough peace, <coughs> when there is some kind of fighting in the family, Someone is crying, someone is angry. That happens, bow to the bell and invite the bell to sound. And everyone in the family should stop talking, stop shouting, and breathe and bring peace to the family. Suppose you have a big brother 
who is angry, who is about to shout at you. And you know what to do. You go to the bell, you breathe in and out, and you invite the bell to sound. Your brother has to stop. Because he has signed a treaty. He has agreed. So the whole family has to agree about that. So this is to bring peace home. Uh, suppose mommy is not very happy uh, because uh, daddy has sent, said something to her. You know, uh, mommy uh, is about to cry. And one of the things you can do is to go to the bell and ask the bell to sound. Then mommy, daddy and everyone will stop and breathe in and out three times. So this is the practice of peace in the family. So I want you to bring the bell home, the mindfulness bell home. I know a professor of mathematics. His name is Henry. Henry Kikun in Toronto. He spent uh, a month practicing with us in Plum He's an excellent professor of mathematics. But he's, uh, he's a good person, but he gets angry from time to time. But after one month of practice, he was transformed. He loved his students very much. His school in, is in Toronto. So uh, <coughs> that, uh, that uh, school year began very nicely. He, came, he just came home from Plum Village, and the first time he went to his classroom, mindfulness. And he told us, students, about his experiences in Plum Village. And then he wants uh, the children to practice the bell of mindfulness in the class, right this, that morning. But he did not have a bell with him. But still he could, he could begin the practice right uh, uh, that morning. Guess what he did? He asked a boy that was sitting in the front, front row that every 15 minutes the boy should clap his hand two times. And that is the bell of mindfulness. And teacher and students stop teaching, studying, and just breathe in and out, breathing in. I'm aware of my body, full of stress. Breathe out, I release the tension in my body, I smile. And they, they, they practice breathing in and out like that three times and feel much better. And every 15 minutes they do so. And it turned out that the class was doing very well. Everyone is was making progress. And very soon the whole school learned about that 
and they wanted to to imitate. Of course, uh, later on he was able to to to, to get a bell of mindfulness, uh, a bell, a real bell, and uh, the student don't have to clap their hands anymore. Professor Henry had written a number of uh, books on mathematics. He's a very uh, excellent uh, uh, teacher of mathematics. He came back to Plum Village several times, and he practiced so well that he was ordained as a lay Dharma teacher of Plum Village in Canada. And I want you to learn how to how to produce a sound that is pleasant, powerful, pleasant. From the, so your stay in privilege will be very fruitful because you are able to bring peace home. In the morning before we go off to work or to to study. We don't need to, uh, to say, have a good day. No, we, we want to make the day good by practicing listening to the bell. We are not satisfied with just wishful, uh, wishful thinking. We want to do to begin our day in the proper way. We sit down as a family, and there is a bell master inviting the bell to sound three times, and all the family will practice mindful breathing. And the children can be a bell master. And this morning, I will tell you how to be a bell master. So please learn. And in the evening before you go to sleep, and your parents uh, should uh, sit down with you, and uh, invite the bell to sound three times, and you breathe in and out nine times, nine, nine times before, be, before you go to sleep. And uh, I think uh, a family practicing the bell of mindfulness is a beautiful family because there is a peace, harmony, and love in that family. And it does not cost anything. You do not have go to go to the supermarket to buy anything because there they don't sell peace and calm and brotherhood and uh, compassion and mindfulness. You cannot say, please, I want one kilogram of mindfulness. <laughs> no, they, cannot, they don't have that to sell. I want uh, half a kilogram of peace. No. They cannot sell that. So we have to produce peace and mindfulness by ourselves, enjoy also, right? So every child should be able to be a bell master. This bell has a seat, a cushion. It's practicing sitting meditation there. And uh, you should be calm enough before you invite the bell to sound. That is why uh, you have seen Thay putting the bell in his uh, left hand 
and keep silent. During the time they hold the bell like this, he was practicing breathing in and out. And with a, with a short poem, short verse of four lines. And you might like to memorize that. Because they memorized it when he was uh, 16 years old. And he has been using that for more than 70 years. Looking at the bell, you recite, Special mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the soundless bell. May the hearers awaken from their forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is the just opposite of mindfulness. Thakniam. May the hearers awaken from their forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And when you have uh, finished breathing in and out four times with that, with that kind of uh, with that poem, you are calm enough. And you are qualified as a bell master. You are calm. You are serene. You are relaxed. So you are a real bell master. But when you are angry, when you are stressful, don't touch the bell. Because you are not a real bell master. A real bell master should have some peace, some tranquility in himself or herself. So after having breathed in, breathing in and out two times with the, with the, with the verse, you begin to wake, to, uh, you make a half sound in order to wake up the bell. This is the half sound. Half sound. Again. And that is to warn everyone that a full sound is going to happen so that they have the time to prepare themselves for the reception of the full sound. It's, it's like a, say, the Buddha is about to call you and you will hear the voice of the Buddha very soon. The Buddha from your heart, not from outside. So this is a, a call a Waking up sound. Tiếng thức. And you should allow people enough time to prepare themselves. They are thinking, they are speaking, they are doing things. So when they hear this, they need the time to stop thinking, stop talking, stop doing things in order to be ready to, to receive the food And you are very kind because you allow people enough time to prepare themselves. And after that, you offer the first full sound. It's not the half sound anymore like this, but a full sound.
three deep in-breath and three deep out-breath. And that goes with the gata of two lines. When you breathe in, you say, I listen, I listen. When you breathe out, you say, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. I listen, I listen with all my heart. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. And then when you know that everyone has finished his or her three in-breath and out-breath, you offer the second sound. Be sure that they have enough time to enjoy the three in-breath and out-breath. And so you, as young people, you know that your in-breath and your out-breath must be a little bit shorter than the in-breath and out-breath of adults. So after you have finished three in-breath and out-breath, you give them a few extra seconds. You are very kind as a young bell master. I tell you this. After you have finished your in-breath and your three in-breath and out-breath, you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You give them ten extra seconds so that they can enjoy completely and deeply their three in-breath and out-breath. You give them peace. What you offer to them is peace. And then you invite the second sound of the bell. to stop the thinking and the talking. So wonderful to enjoy the fresh air breathing in and out. So wonderful to feel the peace in the body and the mind. And peace is something possible with the mindfulness, bell of mindfulness. And then after you finish three in-breath and out-breath, you give them ten extra bells, but inviting the bell to sound. This is the inviter. So before, before you make the half sound, you put your left hand here, right hand here, and you breathe. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May the hearers awaken from their forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And then with your right hand, you hold the inviter like this, and you offer a half sound. Everyone knows that a full sound is going to happen. Everyone stop thinking, talking, and prepare themselves. Be generous. Give them enough time to prepare. Breathe in and out and give them 10 extra seconds. And then...
me back to my true home three times and then the second and then the third full sound after that <coughs> you can bow and put the inviter down and you have finished your role as a bell master Thay is going to repeat with us on the on board. Please look. You hold the bell. You hold the bell. And you breathe. This is your in-breath, this is your out-breath. Body, speech and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May the hearers awaken from forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. That's the verse four line. And then you make the half sound. And you allow people to breathe in and out at least one time to prepare themselves for the reception of the sound. And you may like to offer them a few extra seconds. And then you offer the first full sound. And then people have the and then you have finished your task as a bell master, you lower the bell down and you bow to it. Not difficult, huh? You can do it? Okay. So this morning, I will let you borrow this one. And uh, you have a chance to practice as a bell master. Be sure that when you go home, you can, you can play the role of a bell master. And I think that uh, every home should uh, arrange so that we have a mini meditation hall in the house. A room that does not need to be very big. Enough for a few cushions. If the family has uh, four people, then we need uh, four cushions. Two for parents and two for children. And we need one or two extra, because from time to time we have a guest. And we want to invite our, our guests to come and practice with us. Very nice. You might invite another, uh, one of your friends to come to, to, to spend a weekend with your family. And of course you will share the practice of mindful breathing to the bell with him or her. And that small room is called uh, the breathing room. 
the room for breathing and making peace and producing peace. And uh, that is the territory of the Buddha. When you got into that room and sit down, you are in the territory of the Buddha. No one can shout at you anymore, even your father. Because everyone respects the immunity <laughs> of the practitioner. So every home should have a room, a mini meditation hall called a breathing room, where we can restore ourselves, where we can experience uh, peace and reconciliation. And I think uh, in the 21st century, Families who have um, a room like that in their home can be considered to be a civilized, civilized family. Civilized home should have a room for peace. We have a room for everything. Guest room, playroom, everything except a place for peace, for our nerves. So the children can play a role in that. And in that room, we don't need a lot of furniture. We need a few cushions. We need a tiny flower pot. And you don't need a lot of flower. One flower is enough. And the children can arrange the flower, change the water, dust the place, because that is the territory of, uh, of the Buddha. You take good care of that place. That is a holy place. So when you hear the sound of small bell, <laughs> breathe in and out, and stand up and go out and continue learning, practicing outside. I give this to Sister Tang Chua Su. Tang Chua Su. Her nickname is Sister Bong Bong.
in the old time, uh, we live that uh, our suffering and our, and our happiness uh, decided by, by the gods. So we were seeking to please the gods so that we would not have to suffer a lot and we would uh, have uh, some happiness. We believe that uh, happiness and suffering come from the gods above. And in the Vedas, uh, you find uh, rituals, uh, verses, uh, mantras, recitation that can be... uh, So in the Upanishads, that follow the Vedas. We, we learn the teaching of karma, action, and we learn the, 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 the teaching of uh, retribution. If you do something bad, you will suffer. If you do something good, you'll be happy. So that is uh, quite a revolution. Happiness and suffering do not uh, depend on the gods anymore, but depend on yourself. The teaching of uh, karma, karma means action. The teaching of uh, um, retribution, was born in uh, could be seen in some of the Upanishads, the later Upanishads books, a lot of philosophy and and teachings like that. And also there is the teaching of reincarnation. If during this life you do good things, and then next life you'll be reincarnated into a better form. And if uh, in this life you do bad things, and then you can be reincarnated uh, in uh, in uh, in forms like a hungry ghost, uh, you can go to hell and so on. So uh, before the coming of the Buddha, the teaching of uh, retribution and the teaching of uh, Reincarnation had been there. So that, that is why the teaching of uh, retribution and the teaching of reincarnation is not at the heart of the Buddhist teaching. The Buddha accepted it and modified it because there is some truth in it, but the Buddha goes deeper And we cannot understand the teaching of the Buddha on reincarnation or on retribution unless we have the insight of no-self. Who? Who is uh, reincarnated? And who uh, 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 received the contribution? Who is the doer of the act? Who is the actor? 
and who is the receiver of the fruit of action? That is a, a real question. And if we, un- if we want to, un- to, to, to understand uh, the deeper teaching of Buddhism, we have to look into it. Mr. A is an actor. He performs some action, good or bad. He kills someone or he saves someone. And then later on, our next life, next life or later on, he will have to receive the fruit of his action. He was discovered by the police, he was put into the prison, or he was he's, uh, executed. So this is the actor. And this is the receiver of the action. of the fruit of action. In Vietnamese, Tak Ya that one who acts and receiver Tho Ya that one who receives. And as uh, you recognize the truth of impermanence. And not only in Buddhism, there is the insight of impermanence, but everywhere in, in philosophy, East and West, they all recognize impermanence as the truth. Heraclitus, Kung Fu Everyone recognizes the fact that everything is changing. Nothing can remain the same at the same time. Nothing can remain the same in two consecutive moments. You look at the river and you think that that river is the same river of yesterday. But that's not the truth. It looks like that. But all the water in it is different. No one can take a swim twice in the same river. The river does not remain the same. And you, the swimmer, you think that you are the same. And tomorrow when you take uh, a swim in a river, not only the river is not the same, but you are also not the same person. You have changed in 24 hours. And if you recognize the truth of no-self, and then you ask whether the actor and the receiver of the, act, the, of the fruit of action is the same or a different one, you cannot say that it's the same person. And you cannot say that it is completely another person. 
And that is the teaching of the middle way in Buddhism. When you look back at the family album, you see yourself as a five-year-old boy. Your picture is a five-year-old boy, a five-year-old girl. And you ask, I am the same person with that little boy. The, the answer is easy. I am not the same with that little boy or little girl because I am so different now in terms of form, feelings, perceptions, mental formations and consciousness. I am quite different from that little boy. But to say that I am entirely another person is, is not true either. So the truth is not uh, sameness. The truth is not otherness. So the truth uh, transcends the notion of sameness and otherness. Dong. You are not exactly the same with him, with her, the little boy. But you are not entirely different from him or her. So there is a continuation. And samsara, reincarnation, rebirth, has to be understood in that line. No self. No self means there is no permanent entity. Nothing can remain the same forever. And looking into the five skandhas, namely, and only be there for one fraction of a second to be succeeded by another flame and things like your mind to talk in, the, in terms of handy person, person has the nature of uh, cinematography. Always changing very quickly. And that is no self. So the criminal, the person who, who commit a crime here, and with the person who is executed here, they are not exactly the same person. And if you are in, uh, you study criminology. If you are, um, if uh, if you uh, you think about, uh, meditate about justice. And then you will, uh, you will not uh, base your, your action, your judgment uh, on, the, on the base, on the foundation of uh, self anymore. The time from here to here, maybe three years or twenty years. And during that, Time, the person may have changed. 
it, him or he or she might, might become another person, very much another person. Like Angulimala. Angulimala had killed about 100 people, a serial killer. That is the time of the Buddha, there was a serious killer called Angulimala, and he wanted to kill the Buddha also. But the Buddha helped him to stop, and finally he became a monk. The moment when he threw away his knife and kneeled in front of the Buddha, he said, Dear teacher, it's too late. I have killed. 99 people. And they will not tolerate me anymore. The Buddha said, if you really want to change, and then I can help you. Because uh, King uh, Prasenarit is my friend. And if you, you want to really transform, and then we can, we can help you. He was running after the Buddha in order to kill the Buddha because he believed that if he killed one person and then he can achieve something. There's uh, wrong perceptions. There is uh, violence. And then um, that day, uh, people in town learned that Angulimala is there. So everyone was afraid. They closed their door. And the Buddha was uh, going on his arm round and, uh, and a, lay, uh, a householder invited him to come into the, the house and saying that uh, it's not safe to go on the street like that. You may meet Angulama, Angulimala and he may kill you. The Buddha said, no, I should continue with my arm round. So he, uh, he continued his uh, mindful walking and suddenly he uh, the voice of someone behind him calling, Stop, monk, stop! And the Buddha knew that it's Angulimala, but the Buddha did not stop. He continued to walk like this, very mindful. I think the Buddha was confident because uh, as a young person he had learned martial, law, martial art. He wins in the contest of martial art. And then he has calm and compassion. And he's confident that he can, he can take care of this uh, serious killer. So Angulimala was calling him, Stop, go to me, I want to kill them all. The Buddha said, don't say like that. There are people who are very compassionate. Have you met any uh, bhikshu? 
Bhikshuni, they are very kind people. Even they don't want to kill uh, little uh, insects. And then he said, Gautama, it might be too late. And the Buddha said, it's not too late if you want to transform. At that time, uh, many monks caught up, with, caught up with the Buddha because they were afraid of him being killed by Angulimala. So they were very happy to see the Buddha alive. And Angulimala was there, kneeling in front of the Buddha. So the Buddha decided to accept Angulimala in the Sangha as a monk. And he gave uh, the order for the monks to shave the head of Angulimala and give him a Sangati to make him a monk so that he be protected from the troops of uh, King Prasanajit. So the Buddha was able to, to transform such a serious killer into a very gentle monk. So during, so during the time Someone commit a, an act until he receives uh, the fruit of his action. Time has passed. And during that time, he continues to change. And maybe at this time, he has changed into some, someone very much better. And if you kill him, that's not good justice. So if you are on penitential, penitential uh, um, uh, domain, you, you think that you know that uh, the teaching of the Buddha on no self can uh, can be used in order to 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 provide uh, more justice more justice. According to this, before you put that criminal in jail or, 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 or kill him, you have to study, you have to learn what has happened from the time he committed the act until now. And maybe the good things he has done from that time to now is enough for him to 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 be free from any, uh, any punishment. So the, the insight of impermanence, the insight of no self can help everyone, including the judges and politicians and so on. Nothing can remain the same forever, even for two consecutive uh, moments. In the beginning, we did not recite, uh, we, we, we had another verse for listening to the bell. I listen, I listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true self. But many people did not understand that 
with self and that Buddhism does not teach does not acknowledge the existence of self why do you say uh, I listen I listen this wonderful sound brings me back to my true self I think we should not be dogmatic we can speak about the self if you understand self is made only of non-self elements Self, the self, if it is, there is a self, and then the self is made only of non-self elements. So it's equal to non-self. So it should not be caught in words. To say there is uh, no self, that's correct. But to say that there is a self, that is correct also if you understand self is made of non-self elements. You see? So you don't have to fight. Buddhism is very tolerant. If you are not tolerant, if you are not open, you are not a Buddhist. You don't claim that you alone retain the truth. You don't condemn other, other expressions of truth because you know that Buddhism is made only of non-Buddhist elements. Buddhism is made of non-Buddhist elements. This is written in the scripture. the Buddha Dharma. <coughs> this is non-Buddhist elements. Looking into a flower, you see the flower is made only of non-flower elements. You see the sunshine in the flower. You know that without the sunshine, no flower can grow. So the sunshine is in the flower. It is a non-flower element. And looking into a flower, you see a cloud. Because you know very well that without a cloud, there is no rain and no flower can grow. So. Rain cloud is a non-flower element. <coughs> Looking into the, the flower, you see the, the soil, the earth. Soil, earth is not flower. It's a non-flower element, but it is very essential for the flower. So you, so you, found, you find a multitude of non-flower elements in the flower. And it's very clear that a flower is made only of non-flower elements. If you return the non-flower elements to the source, there's no flower anymore. And a flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower has to interbe with all the non-flower elements. So non-self is also interbeing.
you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with all of us. There is no self. <coughs> Look at the river. She is made of non-river elements. There are many sources, streams of water coming together. These streams of water may not have uh, a name when it is too, too small. When it, when it, it has become an important stream, well, we give it a name. And then these, uh, these small rivers come together and become a big river. And we have another name. So La Seine, La Marne, La Garonne, they are made of uh, no Seine, no Marne, no Garonne elements. And they are always changing, day and night. So the same, uh, the same is true with uh, a cloud. A cloud is impermanent. And a cloud may be joined by other clouds. And half the cloud may, be, may have become the rain. And half the cloud is still in the sky. And then other smaller, smaller clouds will join it. So there is always input and output. So you don't remain the same cloud forever. And the cloud is made of uh, little uh, uh, drops of water so light that uh, it floats crystals of eyes so, so tiny that they float. And suppose the cloud look down on earth and see a stream of water running. Half of the cloud has become green and now manifests manifested as a, a stream of water. So the cloud sees uh, herself down on earth. And she says, hello, myself down there. I will join you very soon. And the cloud does not have to die entirely in order to become a stream. Look into my, my teeth. Some of the cloud is in, is in, in my cup. Hello, my little cloud. So the cloud looks down and sees some of it is in my cup. And they can say hello to each other. To be a cloud floating up there is nice, but to be in his cup is also very nice. And uh, it will become part of a Dharma talk later on. So things are always changing and taking new, uh, new forms. That is reincarnation, that is rebirth. And you don't need to wait until the disintegration of this body in order to be reborn, to be continued.
if you look in this direction and you see and you think that this is Thai, you are wrong. I am in the other direction also. As I look, I see myself everywhere. I have been reincarnated. I have been reborn in many, in many forms. I am a cloud, tiny cloud. Looking down, I see myself everywhere. I can say hello to myself in this form, in that form. Here is a nun, here is a monk, here is a lay practitioner. Here is a piece of calligraphy, here is a, a book of mine. I have been reborn in many, many and if you think that I'm going to die, you are wrong. It's impossible for me to die. This uh, form you are used to is not, it's not me. It's a very tiny part of me only. So we have to learn to see ourselves differently. We should not identify ourselves with this body only with these feelings, emotions, perceptions, and mental formations only. Every day you produce a lot of thoughts, speech, and actions. And these will continue you. Right thinking. Right thinking. Right thinking is the thinking that goes along with the reality of interbeing, no self, and impermanence. If you have the insight of interbeing, no self, impermanence, your thinking will be right thinking. There is no discrimination anymore in your thinking. Because you know that everything is related to everything else. No discrimination, no fear, no anger, no violence. So right thinking is a kind of thinking that has a lot of understanding inside and compassion. And when you produce a thought of compassion, and uh, understanding, that thought begins to heal you, to nourish you, and to heal the world. And a good practitioner should produce many thoughts like that every day. It's good for our healing and the healing of the world. A thought of compassion, tolerance, and understanding. If you produce a thought of anger, fear, and despair, that thought begins to destroy you and destroy the world. And that is not a good continuation, a good reincarnation, a good rebirth. Because that thought bears your signature. It's you who have produced that thought. You cannot say that it's not me who have produced that thought. You have to produce that thought. And if that thought is full of 
tolerance, compassion, love, understanding, you are sure a beautiful continuation. If uh, if uh, the rain produce the 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 cloud produces acid rain because there is acid in the cloud. So we have to purify ourselves, and we have to produce ourselves in a better way by producing only thoughts that go in the direction of right thinking, full of compassion, full of understanding, devoid of all kind of discrimination. And then what we say as a good practitioner is right speech. What what you say is full of uh, compassion, understanding. The letter that you write carries the energy of understanding and compassion. And when you are writing that letter, so if you are a student of uh, Tibetan Buddhism, you don't need uh, to wait until your teacher dies in order to go and look for his rebirth. He's around already. He's maybe in you. And you can identify him while your teacher is alive. You can identify his continuation while he is still alive with this present body. <clears throat> and then a good practitioner also is also capable of producing the kind of action called the right action. With our body, we can do things in order to serve, to protect, to support, to save people. That is a good action. And you continue with your bodily action, your speech and your thinking. So the cloud is uh, continued with uh, with uh, with the rain, with the snow, with the ice, with the river, with the tea, and you continue with your thinking, your speech, and your action. And after the disintegration of this body, you continue always. You cannot die. You can never die. Be- because to die means from being, you pass into the realm of non-being which is impossible, not only for the cloud, but for every one of us. And uh, right thinking, right speech, and right action are based on a kind of insight. And that insight is called uh, right view. Right view is the insight of interbeing, the insight of no self, the insight of impermanence. 
And when you have that insight, no discrimination is, is possible anymore. And according to that insight, the notion of self, the notion of permanence, is no longer there. And the insight that, is, uh, that serves at the base of right thinking and right speech and right action is obtained by the practice of right con- concentration. And right concentration is practiced together with mindfulness, mindfulness. Right mindfulness. When you practice mindfulness and concentration, you are to obtain right view, the insight of interbeing, the insight of no self, the insight of uh, emptiness. And then with that insight, every thought you produce will be a good thought, full of compassion, understanding, and insight. Everything you say is full of um, compassion and insight, and your action also. These are six elements of the Noble Eightfold Path. The other day we have learned right diligence. Lom elasom. This is that. Man is the totality, the sum of his act. And la totality, the totality of action is here can be summarized by three aspects. What you produce in terms of thought, speech, and action is called uh, action, karma. Your action. And you are this. You are what you think. You are what you say. You are what you do. You are not exactly your body, your feelings, your perceptions. And you continue always with your karma. It's like the, the cloud continues always with the river, with, the, with um, the ocean, with the snow, and with the tea, and with your ice cream. <laughs> so this is uh, the noble, the 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 noble eightfold path recommended by the Buddha, the path that leads to happiness, to well-being. And this is uh, to, the path is to guarantee, to assure of a beautiful continuation. 
And we know that the word continuation is much better than the word reincarnation or rebirth. Because you are reborn in every moment. Birth and death happen in every moment. This very moment, many thousands and thousands of cells are dying in your body. Death is happening now. Don't think that death will be later on. It will be, uh, will be when you reach the age of 80 or 90. No. Death is taking place right in this moment. You are dying now in the here and the now. Why are you so afraid of dying? Because you are dying every moment now. Many cells are dying. So that many other cells are born. And this moment, you are born. You have a happy birthday all the time. A happy moment every time. You are so busy. We don't have the time to organize the funerals for ourselves. We don't have the time to celebrate the birthday of our new selves. But birth and death, they are always together. Without one, the other cannot be. Birth goes with death all the time. If something like death is alone, that's not death. Death must be accompanied by birth all the time. So you are reborn in every moment of your daily life. And meditation allows you to see your rebirth. Every time you produce a thought, you are reborn. For better or for worse. And we are responsible for our action. Because every thought, every speech, and every action carries our signatures. You are a river, you have a name. And the most wonderful thing is that uh, the path, the fourth, the fourth uh, noble truth, Magga, is identity, identical. Looking into this truth, you see how it is made. And then the, the third truth is uh, the cessation of your being. Which means exactly the presence of well-being. Of happiness. And it can be done very quickly. If you are skilled, a skilled practitioner, and with only one in-breath, you can transform a painful feeling into joy. A mindful in-breath can shed a lot of light on that, on that suffering. And you may realize that your suffering is based on wrong perception. And as you remove the wrong perceptions, you don't suffer anymore. <clears throat> and the fourth noble truth is 
describe it as the path leading leading to the cessation of your being or to happiness to well-being So on the appearance, we see the four noble truths as separate. The first is not the second. The first is not the third. The first is not the fourth, but they are linked together. Because without the second noble truth, the making of, of interbeing, of uh, ill-being, there is no ill-being. So they are practically the same. Because you are living in such a way that is why suffering is there. So the cause and the effect, they are together. This is this and this is this. And we know that if we understand suffering, if we know how to suffer, we suffer less. And we are able to put an end to the suffering and to bring about happiness, which is well-being. So the third is linked to the first and the second. And the fourth is a path. But now we should discuss, we should look a little bit to see the, the, the connection between the third and the fourth. Usually we think that there is a There is a path. Leading to a, a kind of destination. And this is a happiness. This is a, and this is the third noble truth. The third noble truth. This one. And there must be a path that leads us slowly to, to happiness, to well-being. And this is the fourth. And that is the way we used to think. But you can go deeper in the light of interbeing the path and the destination, they are not two separate entities. This is uh, the path, Marga. And we distinguish between Marga and Niroda, which is uh, the cessation of suffering, happiness. But looking deeply, we see that this can be found in this, and this is this. And the noble, noble effort path, as described, by the Buddha 
is, the, is uh, called the path of happiness. And you know that the five mindfulness trainings that you have received, they reflect on the path of the eight noble, uh, uh, on, the, on the eight noble path. Every step you make should be a happy, should be a happy step. And happiness should be found in every step. You don't have to wait until you arrive here. Here is, there is nothing. There is only a path. <laughs> Nirvana is the same. Nirvana is not a destination. Nirvana is a path. There is no way to Nirvana. Nirvana is the way. And if you have that insight, every step, you touch Nirvana. You touch your true nature of no birth and no death. No, no coming, no going, no sameness, no otherness, no being and no non-being. We have learned quite a few things. First of all, Professor Henry, he does this in mindfulness. So, in right view, you transcend the notion of sameness and otherness. You are neither the same nor a different person for the five-year-old boy. And the other couple is uh, coming and going. And the other couple is uh, birth and death. And we need only the last pair of opposite, which is uh, being and non-being. There are four pairs of opposite. Birth and death, sameness and otherness, coming and going, being and non-being. And if you transcend all these four opposites, you get the inside called right view. That is foundation for right thinking, right speech, right action, and so on. And this, uh, this uh, image can help us 
this uh, line represents uh, time, the course of time. And we imagine there is uh, a point on that line called birth. And the notion of birth is born. But according to the inside of of inner being, there is no birth. There is no death. A cloud is never, never born. Because to be born means from nothing you become something. From no one you become someone. The realm of non-being. From someone you become no one. That's our notion of death. And according to the Buddha, that's wrong thinking. The ultimate truth is that there is no birth and no death. On the appearance, it looks like there is birth and death. But going deeper, there is no birth and no death. Yesterday, we have answered a question by a young person. He said that even in science, people have discovered the nature of no birth and no death, of energy and matter. The first law of thermodynamics. Rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. Therefore, if we see birth and death, because we look only on the surface, going deeper, we touch the nature of no birth and no death, of the cloud, of everything and of ourselves. It's not possible to die. So by looking deeply like that, you remove the notion of birth and death. And there is no fear left. And if the, if the notion of birth and death is removed, and the notion of being and non-being is re, are removed at the same time. Because birth, according to us, is from non-being, you pass into being. But if there is no birth, no death, being and non-being are removed also as notions. And one day, the Buddha was asked by a disciple, Kakchayana, Dear teacher, you always speak to us about right view. What is right view exactly? And on that day, the Buddha said very simply, My dear friend, right view is a kind of insight that transcends the notion of being and non-being. To be by yourself alone, you don't need anything else. That is impossible. Nothing can be by itself alone. A flower, a cloud. But that is, uh, that is why to interbe is possible, but to be is not possible. So the inside of interbeing helps us to remove the, the inside of being. And if the in notion of being is removed, the notion of non-being is removed at the same time. And that is why the Buddha said, 
in that famous sutra that right view is the view that is free from the notion of being and non-being. Interbeing can serve as a notion to help remove the notion of being and non-being. And after that, the notion of interbeing we can remove also. And we already know about the truth of sameness or otherness. So right view is uh, the kind of insight that transcends all these four pairs of opposite. So this uh, Dhamma talk is somehow an invitation for you to continue your practice of meditation. Because if we have mindfulness and concentration and we look more deeply, we will discover the truth. And we will be free from all kinds of fear and anger and discrimination. Should do a walking meditation now. <laughs>